0: I hope you've gotten a hint (laughs) of what we're going to be doing today. Yeah, this is our Sounds Like Radio third Halloween big special. (laughs) Oh, we got a good show for you today. We got some thrills. We got some spills, Uh, provided I don't spill my drink. But we do have some thrills and some great Halloween music for you on Sounds Like Radio. Hello, friends. Hi. I'm your humble host. Welcome. Welcome to the inner sanctum as we all come in here. Just a moment. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Sometimes I have to remind myself of what things do around here. Yeah, all right. We've got some good music for Halloween and some real good spooky stories. And today we're going to tell Boris Karloff. Go ahead, Boris. You don't have to tell us some non-scary stories. We want you to, to be yourself. To tell some of them scary stories that come natural to you. (laughs) Oh, Boris, he's thrilled. He gets to tell us a couple of his spooky stories, but Louis Armstrong, no, I I can't say that he's thrilled because Louis Armstrong doesn't like hearing about them spooks. Do you, Louis? (laughs) Boy, I'm starting to kiss again right now. Ooh, listen to that. Spooks are coming! Oh! Oh dear.
1: Night about twelve o'clock, I thought I'd go downstairs just to check the lock. When I heard something in the house, I don't mean a mouse. I swear they was spooks, spooks, spooks. I know they were spooks, 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 spooks. Couldn't move, just stood and stare. I never was so scared. The first spook spoke and I heard him speak He said, one say, go make the back door squeak We'll tease the cat and hound the pup And raise our spirits up Oh, Lord of them spooks, spooks, spooks Those scary old spooks, 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 spooks You don't have to take my word But I heard, but I heard Spook spoke, he said, suppose we make the fossils
2: start to drip and make the shuttle shake. You let me know just what you want. This is my favorite haunt. Beware of them spooks,
3: spooks, spooks, them mischievous spooks, 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 spooks. I hate spoofing, man, I mean that I've
4: seen what I've seen.
1: A big spook spoke, he said, Spike, my son. He said, I'll show you how to scare up some fun. But next time when you're well, see, here, yeah, you make it louder and clear. Watch out for them spooks, spooks, spook! Oh, those nasty old spooks, 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 spooks. Maybe you don't think it's so, but I know what I know. The last spook turned to his spouse and frowned said i thought i told you to wait in the ground but you look awful cute tonight in fact you look afraid <laughs> he's talking <laughs> about spooks spooks
3: spooks real genuine spooks 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 no
1: use to putting up your dukes you just can't fight with them spooks <laughs> I'm cutting out of here, man. I don't dig this job. No. Wait for us, wait for us, wait for us, wait for us.
0: Louie, Louie, come back. Oh, my. Louie's already out the door. He couldn't stand any more of them spooks. <laughs> we got a good Great Gildersleeve, by the way, today. I, I forgot to mention, this is the third and the last of the Great Gildersleeve Halloween show. And luckily, it comes right where we want it to, right in the line of shows that we've been listening to. This is an October 1951 Great Gildersleeve uh, Halloween show, and we'll be playing that in just a few minutes. But you know what, Boris Karloff, he's standing by. And you know when it's Halloween time, Boris, he just can't wait. Boris, it is so good to see you especially for our great Halloween specials. but well, I was very pleased you asked me to come back to tell you a couple more of my Tales of the Frightened. By the way, Humble House... Y- y- yes, Boris, are you one of the Frightened? Well, I don't like to think of myself as being one of the Frightened, but I know you all. From your reactions to my little sweet tales... I know you're one of the frightened. Ooh, I'll show you how brave I am. Though. I'll show you how brave. Go ahead. Tell us one of your, your, your frightening stories. All right, humble I'll take that dare. Oh, no. I ain't daring you, boys. I'm just saying I want to hear one of your stories. <laughs> one of your sweet, nice stories. I don't know if this one's going to be sweet, but it will be a nice, frightened story. It's called... Don't Lose Your Head. Oh, no,
5: I don't like that title.
0: Just be still, humble house, while I tell you the tale.
5: Are
6: you one of the frightened? Yes. I admit it. It must have happened to you at some time in your life. You meet a completely strange set of people. They come into your life just as suddenly as they leave. And they leave you to wonder for the rest of your day. Was it real? Did you dream them all up? And why were you chosen of all people to encounter them? Yes. Have a glass of port while I tell you the strange story of Henry Harper, Mm, a traveling salesman. It was in Shanghai, I think, shortly after the Second World War that Henry Harper had his curious experience. Now, Henry Harper was a rug salesman, which has very little to do with the story, except perhaps to explain that he was a man who was used to hotels, sleeping away from home uh, and constantly traveling in strange cities far from his native London. So it was that Henry Harper found himself in an obscure Shanghai hotel, a guest for one night. In the morning, he had an important appointment with one of the wealthiest dealers in the city. Henry Harper was tired. The noisy, jostling Shanghai streets, a veritable melting pot of races, creeds and colors, had given him a headache. His eyeballs were scorched from the afternoon sun. So it was that when night came, Henry Harper was more than ready for bed. He'd unpacked all his luggage, attired himself in pyjamas, and read himself to sleep, as has been his custom for many years. But he had fallen asleep with the lights on. It was perhaps an hour or two later that Henry Harper stirred restlessly in his bed. His eyes were still closed, but a curious scratching noise came to his ears. Now, Shanghai's street noises had abated somewhat... Now the scratching sound filled the tiny hotel room. Henry Harper sat erect peevish opened his eyes to see what the disturbance was. Well, he was hardly prepared for the sight that greeted him. But seated at the dresser in the room, just at the foot of his bed, her back to him, was a lovely Eurasian woman, busily combing her hair as nice as you please. The woman's hair was fantastically long, its black length trailing down her shoulders to the floor. Henry Harper could only gape as the comb in the lady's hand ran briskly through the beautiful hair with easy feminine strokes. It was the noise of the comb drawing through the hair that had awakened Henry Harper. Before he could open his mouth to speak, The comb became snarled the of her hair without a moment's hesitation. The lady lifted her head off her shoulders and disentangled the comb from her hair. Henry Harper had seen enough. With terror chilling his brain, he sprang out of bed and flung into the room next to his like a wild man. Four bland Chinese were seated round a field table having a quiet name of cards. Henry screamed to them about the woman in his room who had removed her head before his very eyes. The four Chinese smiled up at Henry Harper. Oh, that, they said in chorus, that's nothing. We can all do that. Whereupon they all in turn lifted their heads off their shoulders. So you see, Henry Harper had quite an experience. Of course, no one at the sanitarium believes this, but uh, there you are. I suppose people always expect traveling salesmen to have a lot of funny stories to tell. Oh, by the way, help yourself to a cigar while I step through the wall here and go down to the cellar for another bottle of port. Boris, I do hate to take the long way.
7: <laughs>
0: Oh, dear. Oh, oh, I don't like that. I don't blame you, Boris, for not wanting to take the long way, but walking through the walls like that and disappearing. I didn't know you was a ghost, Boris, but now I can see why you like telling them spooky stories. All right, humble house. Don't worry. I'll be back a little later in the program. Oh, no. You're coming back? Yes. Yes, I'm not done yet. I have one more spooky frightening tale to tell you. Well, Boris, I'm going to kind of look forward to it. I I really am. I just try to control my shattered nerves. Very good, humble house. I'll see you later. By the way, I'm in the mood for a song. You are? Well, good. Because that's just what I have planned. Our house singer is here. I always enjoy hearing Bing Crosby. You do? I certainly do. You know, I appeared on one of his radio shows. Yeah, you know, I remember you appeared on one of Bing's Halloween shows with, I believe it was Victor Moore. Yes, Victor Moore and I had a good time on the Bing Crosby Halloween program. What's Bing going to sing for us today on on your Sounds Like Radio Halloween special? Well, I asked Bing to stop on by to sing us a good song for Halloween. It's called Haunted Heart. Here's Bing Crosby. Oh, this is a beautiful song. I'm glad you like it, Boris.
4: Take it, Bing. In the night, though we're apart, there's a ghost of you within my haunted heart. Ghost of you, my lord. Lips that laugh, eyes that dance. Haunted heart won't let me be. Dreams repeat a sweet but lonely song to me. Dreams are dusty must belong to me, and, friend, my heart and heart, be still. Just it's you who must belong to me.
0: You know, I like that song. It was still Halloween-related somewhat. I mean, after all, the song is called Haunted Heart, but it wasn't a scary song. A perfect song to go after my noives were shattered from Boris's story. Yeah, Bing Crosby, Haunted Heart. You know, there's a beautiful version of that song that that, uh, Joe Stafford sings. And uh well, I just was in the mood for Bing to sing it for us today. Well, friends, we got one more story. Then we're gonna have to get to the Great Gildersleeve. We welcome now. <laughs> one of the masters of radio horror. I used to listen to this guy's radio show. He had a nightly show, Monday through Friday. It used to come on about six, seven minutes before eleven o'clock. They would play the night watch. With your host, Peter Lee, the master of radio horror. Welcome, Peter Lee. Welcome to our Halloween special here on Sounds Like Radio. Greetings, Peter. Greetings,
8: my friends. This is Peter Lee welcoming you to the Night Watch. Follow me now to where terror begins and life ends. Come with me on the night watch. There was nothing special or unusual about the people I want to tell you about today. Nothing out of the ordinary at all. five of them there were, Dave Thomas, Mary Cliff, Ben Dixon... Jenny Larchmont, and Linda Bloom. Nothing special or unusual or out of the ordinary, except their end. They left the office together that night, last out. Ben was the office manager and locked up carefully, checking everything as usual. The others held the elevator for him at the 34th floor. There was the usual kidding with the girls hurrying Ben along, and as usual, it made no difference. Eventually, he finished, and they moved into the elevator. They were a friendly group in that office. They enjoyed their work because of that closeness. Though that's not to say that they weren't glad to get away. They were all tired. Home ahead now, they thought as the elevator started what was likely to be its non-stop journey down at that time of night. It wasn't to be, though. Around about the 20th, it slowed and came to a stop dead stop not at any floor between two 18 and 17. they knew that both lights were on Dave was the first to do something and headed for the switch panel obvious thing to do first was to try to reset the thing switch to stop and on again see if that would do anything nothing try to go back up maybe that would do it not so Mary laughed. Jenny just looked furious, but Linda seemed really bothered. She turned a dead white and was biting her lip agitatedly. Dave picked up the emergency phone that automatically rang an alarm. After a few moments, he shook it. Nothing again. Now he too was looking a little tense. That was when Linda blew up. She exploded out of that quiet nervousness into screaming hysteria. She dived past the men and the other girls and hurled herself at the doors of the elevator, beating at them with closed fists, tearing at them with her fingers, until the nails tore away and blood splattered everywhere as she sank, sobbing to her knees at the doors. It all happened so quickly, the others had stood stock still in shock. Now, Ben and Dave came to her and tried to lift her away. She turned on them, screeching viciously, fearing that they were trying to keep her in that terrible claustrophobic trap. When the next disaster struck them as the lights went out. Linda's panic started to spread first to the other girls as Linda tore, grabbed at them in a panic and they swung madly about to protect themselves. Doing so, the men got theirs too as all three women completely lost control. In moments, those five were the rolling, wrestling, kicking, clawing mass on the floor. Only Linda was really fighting In the dark, just to protect themselves, the others were as deeply embroiled. It was horrible terrifying. One, just one of them, had the presence of mind to try to find a way to stop it, to save them. Jenny, Jenny Larchmont, tried to help. Help herself and her friends who seemed now her most deadly enemies. She still had hold of her umbrella. With it, she forced up the hatch in the ceiling and hooked it over the edge, heaving herself ruthlessly over her erstwhile friends and heaving herself up and through. There, she desperately beat about with the thing, hoping against hope that she'd free whatever obstruction was holding them there, suspended between floors, destroying each other. She succeeded better than she wanted. That elevator was mortally wounded, and only its auto-mechanical safety brakes had saved them as it trapped them. Jenny cut that slender thread safely as she wildly swung about her. And a final horror struck those innocent five as screaming they hurtled ever accelerating those 19 floors down to the awful bone and flesh splattering impact of the bottom. Five ordinary friendly people. But an extraordinary end for them, don't you think? Farewell.
0: Oh my, there he goes. He frightens us all and then he walks off.
3: Goodbye, Peter.
0: I don't know whether I should thank him for that story or not. Well, that's the story. I tell you one thing I ain't never going to get into another elevator. I'll take the stairs, they don't seem so bad now. After hearing that little story from Peter Lee. Yeah, Peter Lee, you know, he told really spooky horror stories every night of the week on his Night Watch series. It's hard to pick one, actually. To pick, you know, just to pick one to play. Very hard. But I thought that was a good one. Well, speaking of good ones, we got a good one right now as we're now going to the Great Gildersleeves' third Halloween special. Originally broadcast October 31st, yes, Halloween night in 1951, Willard Waterman is here as the Great Gildersleeve. And by the way, a little tidbit, in the show you're going to hear a little boy coming to the Great Gildersleeve house, knocking at the door going trick-or-treating, and that little boy, you may recognize his voice. But you know what? I'm not going to tell you his name right now. I'm going to wait till after the show is over and see whether you can recognize the actor's voice who plays the little boy coming to the door. Let's listen to The Great Gildersleeve from Halloween Night in 1951.
9: The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Great Gildersleeve is brought to you partially transcribed by the Kraft Foods Company. And Kraft, you know, makes the famous pasteurized processed cheese food, Velveeta. Get a package or loaf of Velveeta tomorrow and enjoy the cheese food of top quality, Velveeta, made only by Kraft. Well, there's a nip in the air this morning The shocks of yellowing corn are frosty in the fields The pumpkins have been harvested and given faces with toothy grins For it's Halloween In the schools, the children are fidgeting at their desks With impish gleams in their eyes, waiting for darkness to fall In Floyd's barbershop, the great Gildersleeve is getting himself a Halloween haircut Careful with the scissors, Floyd
10: I'm watching, Commissioner
5: Floyd, what'll we jolly boys do tonight?
10: you don't hold your head still, the rest of us might be attending a (laughs) wake.
5: Well, it's Halloween. We should do something special.
10: You mean you ain't booked for tonight?
5: What do you mean by that?
10: Well, since that classy Mrs. Winthrop come to town, you ain't had time for us jolly boys.
5: Oh, Floyd, you know the club comes first with me.
3: Yeah,
10: I thought, sure, you'd be stepping out.
5: Well, she's busy. Yeah, I mean, she's going to a shindig at the country club.
10: Ah, and you ain't invited, huh? You mean all my tonsorial skill has went for no avail?
5: <laughs> well, I'm afraid so, Floyd. We fellas should be able to cook up something.
10: Well, we can come down to the club and sing. We'll be minus our base. Police Chief Gates has to be on duty tonight to keep an eye on the kids. Yeah. When we was kids, we used to give our constable a bad time.
5: Yeah, I guess we all did.
10: I remember one Halloween, we soaked the windshield of his old Model T and dared him to catch us. You were asking for it, Floyd. Nah, we had an ace up our sleeve. He jumped in the car and took off, but we had his rear axle chained to a fire hydrant.
2: (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
10: You should be glad you wasn't the water commissioner that night. (laughs) Well, there you are, Commish. You want to look at yourself in the mirror or just go out happy?
5: (laughs) It looks fine. You, You know, Floyd... I have an idea. No kidding. You know, I know we jolly boys throw a party for the kids tonight. They'll enjoy it, and we'll help keep them out of mischief. Oh, let them live, commish. Now, Floyd, a lot of communities do things like this. We can stock the club with apples, noisemakers, candy, and games. And... Well, I suppose the kids will have fun, and we'll be doing Chief Gates a good turn. You bet. We'll notify the judge and Peavy, and everybody will have a great time. We'll take some money out of the treasury and buy prizes for for the best costumes.
10: Hey, you can wrap some vines around your neck and win a prize. You got a <laughs> head like a pumpkin.
11: <laughs>
3: You're
10: only kidding,
2: Commissioner.
5: Yeah, it's going to be quite a night. All the jolly boys went for my idea. I don't know what they do without me. Meow. Mm. It's only five o'clock. Hardly dusk yet. Are the black cats out already? Meow. Yeah, but that's Leroy behind the hedge. I'll sneak around the other side, and take him by surprise. <laughs> Kids can't wait until dark to scare somebody. Well, I'll turn the tables on him. Boo.
3: Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
11: Hi, Yonk. Sorry you come and Thought I'd scare
5: you. Well, you didn't. What are you doing with those batteries behind the hedge?
11: I got an electric wire running to the front doorknob, but it isn't working.
5: Oh? What's it supposed to do?
11: What's well, it's a neat trick for tonight. I wire it to somebody's doorknob, then ring the bell and run. When they open the door, they get a shock. Yonk.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, come in the house. Oh! Well, I have a much better idea about how you should spend your evening.
11: Yeah?
5: Step inside, my boy.
3: How oh! Hey, now it's working.
5: Leroy! It's tricks like this I want to talk to you about. Sorry, Uncle. Well, I'll overlook it this time. Leroy, rather than go running all over town tonight, how would you like to come up to the Jolly Boys Club to a party. A party? Yep. We're throwing a party for all the kids. The Judge, Phoebe, Floyd. We've all chipped in to buy apples and candy and soda pop. All you can eat, and you may win the prize.
11: Gee, that's keen. Can I play that corny piano, Unc?
5: Sure. Anything you want to do, Leroy. It's kids' night tonight.
11: Oh, boy. I'm going to the Jolly Boys. I'm going to take a bath.
3: <laughs>
5: he wants to take a bath? <laughs> this is a better idea than I thought.
12: Hello, Marjorie. What's Leroy so excited
11: about?
5: Well, the Jolly Boys decided to entertain the kiddies this evening. Oh. Show them a good time and keep them out of trouble.
11: Oh, that sounds like a wonderful idea.
5: Mine.
11: Anki, <laughs> Missus Winthrop phoned a little while ago. She did. Mm-hmm. She's at the Country Club and wants you to call her there.
5: Well, I'll call her right away.
3: Unkie, what if she invites you out there tonight?
5: Well, that'd be a little awkward. And the Jolly boy. Hello. Will you page Missus Winthrop, please? Thank you. Yeah, I wonder if she does want me to join her party. Well, she's too late. just have to tell her I have other commitments. Just her hard luck.
13: (laughs) Hello, Paula.
5: This is Throckmorton. Is that Halloween dinner dance? Uh, Thanks for inviting me, but... Well, it's like this, Paula. I, I... 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 I'll be there. <laughs> Uncle Mort. Shh, Marjorie. You that, Paula? Oh, no. I was going to the Jolly Boys Club, but they'll understand. See you around 8 Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> what a woman.
11: Uncle Mort, I know you'd rather be with Mrs. Winthrop, but what about your party?
5: Oh, yeah, Marjorie, the party will go along just the same. I've arranged everything. Jolly Boys will have fun. The kids will have fun. I'm the only one who'll be missing out.
12: All right, donkey.:
5: Sure, I'll run down to Peavy's and explain that I'm needed elsewhere. After all, I've made my contribution. I sparked the idea.
3: <laughs> oh, Your <yes!
4: laughs> Leroy! Disconnect the door now. <laughs>
3: Hello,
2: Peavy Yeah, hello, Mr. line. <laughs> what can I do for you? Uh, Peavy, about the Jolly Boys party tonight well, I'm ready for it, I'm here to tell you Yes, well, Look Pee-Bee. at this box of favors I have for the kids False faces, noise makers, Nice mm, Horns, just listen to this
3: <laughs>
7: Oh,
2: you'll have a lot of fun, in Peavy Oh, I'm sure we will
7: Greetings, gentlemen. Well, hello, Judge. Oh, hello, Horace. Gildy, I saw you come in. I want to find out what costume you're wearing to our party tonight. Your costume? Is the water commissioner coming as a big fat
2: mermaid? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Judge, I was about to tell Peavy. I thought I'd fool everybody and come as a witch. A witch, Peavy? Yes, but Mrs. Peavy is using the broom this evening. (laughs) Her garden club is having a party, too.
7: Well, whatever we wear, we'll all have a wonderful time. Gildy, you did a splendid thing when you suggested our little party. I congratulate you. Mr. Gildersleeve's all right. Well,
5: thank you, fellows. But as I've been trying to say, I mean, I hope you'll all have a good time. Unfortunately, I won't be able to attend. How's that? (laughs) What's the trouble, Gildy? No trouble, Judge. And I'm sure you men will understand the situation when I explain. Well, start explaining. (laughs) Well, there's nothing I have to apologize for, Petey. I've done my duty to the Jolly Boys party. I got it rolling. I'm sending food and favors.
2: If I have to miss the party, it's my loss. Now, stop beating around the bush and tell us.
7: (laughs) Gilday, could it be that you've made a date with Mrs. Winthrop? Oh,
5: Judge. Well, actually, she made it with me. Oh, fiddlesticks. (laughs) (laughs) She did, Petey. She phoned and asked me to join her for the dance. Huh. Well, I'm sorry, fellows. Well, got to run. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Peavy, aren't you going to say goodbye to me?
2: I'm not going to say anything to you, turncoat.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> fellows,
5: I can't go to both parties. Can I help it if I'm wanted in two places at once? It just happens that I'm popular.
2: Well, now, I would not say that.
5: (laughs) Why, George, it's 8 o'clock. I'm doing Paula's party right now. You wonder why it's always so hard to get a collar button in. Oops. She's dropped it. <laughs> now, where'd it go? You must roll it into the dresser. You, know, well, I...
12: Uncle Mort?
5: Yes, Marjorie?
12: Bronco and I are leaving now.
5: You're all right, my dear. Wish I was.
11: Uncle, don't forget to lock the garage door.
1: Yeah, I won't.
5: Everybody's off to their parties but me. You want to leave everything for me to do.
3: You know,
5: yeah, here's my collar button. What happened to it? Oh, it's a dime.
3: Doorbell, Alberty!
5: i it! Confusion. Yeah, here it is.
3: Dizzy.
5: Good thing I have one of those snap-on bow ties. I can fix it on the way down to the car. Where's my coat? I can't. I get my arm through this sleeve. My coat's not that tight. Over. Bertie! Bertie, who sewed my sleeves together.
1: Your
3: sleeves sewn together?
1: Oh, so that's why Leroy wanted my needle and thread. <laughs> <laughs> not Mr.
5: coat sleeves. You yeah, what a boy!
1: I'll rip it out, Mr. Gilsey. Yeah,
5: thanks, Bertie. Who was at the door?
1: Another trick or treater. Good thing you stocked up with treats.
5: Well, Halloween's for the youngsters,
1: Bertie. Yes, sir, and they're sure having fun tonight. Bertie's giving handouts to spooks, black cats, skeletons, and to one boy dressed like a gorilla. I hope that was a boy dressed like a gorilla. <laughs> yeah, chances are it was, Birdie. <laughs> Yes, sir. Mr. if I have to get the scissors for this job.
5: Well, please hurry, Bertie. I'm late for a very important
3: date. Yes. I did it! <laughs>
5: Never mind, Bertie. You get the scissors, I'll get the door. hope the candy holds out. Well, hello. Hello. You're the smallest ghost we've seen. Why'd you bother to ring the bell. Why don't you just come in under the door?
12: <laughs> I'm lost.
5: Lost? Oh, my goodness. You're awfully small to be out alone, aren't you?
12: I wasn't alone when I started, but I couldn't keep up.
5: Well, I guess it would be pretty hard to get around in that flower sack. What's your name, little boy? Mike. Mike who?
12: Mike Smith.
5: You Smith. Well there are a lot of those. <laughs>
1: There's you come, Miss Gilsleeve. Oh, who's that little fella?
5: A little lost ghost, Bertie.
1: <laughs> lost? Yeah. How'd you get lost, honey? They ran away from me.
5: He couldn't keep up with the other kids, Bertie. Yeah, I wonder if I could find them.
1: Oh, Miss Gilsey, you run on to your party, they'll come looking for him. Yeah,
5: I guess so. What if they don't?
1: I'll call you at the country club, and I'll call the police. Well. I... Gosh. Oh, Mr. Gilsey, be scared! Look at the little fella grab you round the legs.
12: <laughs> huh? Don't you run away from me too?
1: No,
5: Mike. You don't need me. You Bertie'll take good care of you until your friends come back. If they don't find you, the police chief is a pal of mine. He'll get you home. You see, I have a date. You understand, don't you, Mike? Hmm? Oh, the date can wait.
9: The Great Gildersleeve will be back in just a minute. There comes a time in the life of almost every homemaker when for some reason or another the food budget just won't stretch as far as it should. So let me suggest this. Next time you have budget trouble, let Velveeta be your handy helper. Cook with Kraft's famous pasteurized processed cheese food. You can melt Velveeta for a wonderful, smooth, golden cheese sauce... To add to leftover pieces of meat or seafood, or to use in a macaroni or vegetable casserole, or just to pour over plain toast. For money-saving meals that are nutritious and mighty good-tasting too, let Velveeta be your handy budget helper. Just be sure you get genuine Velveeta when you buy. It's the cheese food of top quality, and it's made only by craft. <laughs> Earlier this morning, the great Gildersleeve didn't know how he was going to spend Halloween, so he promoted a party at the Jolly Boys Club. But he ducked out on that when he had a chance to have a date with the attractive Mrs. Winthrop. Then, a little lost boy attached himself to the water commissioner.
5: Now, Mike, how long had you been lost from your little friends when you stopped in here to trick-or-treat?
12: I don't know.
5: Well, we call all the Smiths in the telephone directory. You don't belong to any of them. (laughs) <laughs> what's your father's first name?
12: I don't know
5: uh, What's your mother's name?
12: Mama How do you make it
3: out for skills, Steve?
5: Yeah, I haven't learned much, Bertie
12: What
1: street you live on, baby? I'm not a baby
5: <laughs> Watch it, Bertie
1: Oh, excuse me Where do you live, Mr. Mike?
5: He doesn't know, Bertie
12: I've only lived there a little while I want to go home
5: Well, we're trying to get you there, Mike Hi,
3: Aunt. what's going
5: on? Yo, Leroy, this is Mike Hi Hello Mike was out for tricks or treats and got lost, Leroy
1: Yeah? Poor little fella
5: He doesn't know where he lives
1: What are we going to do
12: with him, raise him? (laughs) (laughs) We'll
5: find out where he belongs How? I don't know
12: a police station. I haven't done anything.
3: I'm just lost.
12: <laughs>
5: Leroy, I called the chief half an hour ago. Nobody's reported a missing boy.
3: Maybe he's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Careful,
5: little ghost has a temper. Leroy, why aren't you down at the Jolly Boys Club with the other kids?
11: Ah, uh, since you weren't going, I decided to go to Piggy's. I just came home to get my electric doorknob buzzer.
5: Ew oh, that.
11: Mr. Yes,
3: yes,
1: Why don't you take Mike down to the Jolly Boys Club? Maybe his crowd dropped in down there. Not
5: a bad idea, Bertie. Frankly, every kid in the neighborhood will be there. Somebody will know who he is.
3: I
12: know who I am. Where do I live? Mike, <laughs> right.
5: I'm doing the best I can. You wait till I get my hat out of the coat
3: closet. Yikes! Yikes!
5: Here we are, Mike. That's the Jolly Boys Club right upstairs there where you see the light.
12: Is that a big bat in the window?
5: No, that's Judge Hooker.
12: <laughs> <laughs> There'll
5: be a lot of kiddies up there. I'm sure some of them will know you.
12: Mister, you're a nice man to help find me.
5: Yeah, I'm glad to do it, Mike. <laughs> and after we get you home, maybe you can help me sometime.
12: Do you get lost? <laughs>
5: well, I'm afraid I've lost out with my girl. Yeah, let me help you up with my shoulders.
12: Whee! Yeah,
5: that's it. I'll take you up the stairs piggyback.
12: Boy, this is fun.
5: You, you bet. Say, I don't
10: hear any noise up there. I wonder what they're doing. Well, gang, look who's here. The big idea man himself. Hello, Floyd. Phoebe. Judge. Gelly, yeah, I thought you had a
7: date.
5: Well, Judge, I called it off. I thought I'd better bring this little fellow up to the party. It's
2: mm. time somebody came.
3: <laughs>
5: Hello, young man.
10: Hi, pal. Hello. You are all the kids. They aren't here. You straggled up for candy and stuff.
7: Yeah, but we sang them a couple of songs and they laughed.
2: Well, I thought the place would be jumping. You sure have thought up a dud, commission. Now, Floyd Mr. Gildersleeve, do you know what I think of your idea?
3: <laughs> What's this, Petey? <laughs> <laughs> now,
7: fellows, the party was a good idea but I guess I just thought of it too late And I went to all this trouble to look like a bat
10: You didn't have to go
2: to much trouble
3: <laughs> Floyd Well,
2: let's give Mr. Gildersleeve's little friend an apple and a noisemaker And then I'll go home
5: Wait a minute, wait a minute this little fellow is lost. Lost? You don't say. Yeah, I was hoping there'd be some children here who'd recognize him. His name's Mike. Mike who?
10: Mike Smith.
12: Yeah, Smith.
10: You're lost, huh, Mike?
12: Yeah, lost.
10: Where do you live?
12: I keep saying I don't know, and I don't. <laughs>
5: well, he's new in town, Floyd. He came to my door just as I
10: was leaving. Oh, broke up your date, huh? Well, it serves you right for two time and us jolly boys. Now,
7: Floyd, Gildy's trying to do the right thing.
2: Well, are you hungry, Mike? I guess so. Right well, here, have an apple. Thanks. <laughs> and you can fill your pockets with candy. Thanks. You're so fellow. What are you going to do with him, Commish? Yeah, I don't know. His family isn't listed in the phone book.
10: Why don't you take the boy to the police station, Gilder?
12: Gosh.
10: Judge, the police station ain't no place for a nice little gent like Mike. I checked with the chief fellows. Nobody's inquired about a little boy. Well, it's too early for him to be missed. The kids won't be through soap and windows till about ten o'clock.
12: Soaping windows isn't nice.
10: That's right, Mike. Well, gee wish somebody come up with something. What'll do we do with him?
12: I want to go home.
7: Okay, okay. We can take him to my house until we find out where his family is. Now let's take him to my house. It's closer.
12: I want to go home.
7: These fellows, <laughs> he rang
5: my doorbell. We take him any place, we'll take him back to my house.
2: Well, while you're hashing that out, I'll put on a mask and amuse the boy. Mike, look. How do you like that, Mike?
12: I want to go home.
2: <laughs> well, I thought that was pretty fine. Gentlemen,
7: I suggest we take the boy back to Gildy's and conduct the search from there. Well, let's go. We have to
5: figure out something. Yeah, I'll get it. Yeah, maybe it's Chief Gates.
4: <laughs> Hello?
5: Hello? Yes, Chief. It is the police department. you quiet, Judge. You are that, Chief? Yeah, the little fellow's here. You have? Great. You are that? 875 Adams Avenue. We'll take him right over and see if he's the boy. Yeah, thanks, Chief. Goodbye. Fuck up, kid. Looks like you're home free. Well, Mike, the chances are you belong at 875 Adams Avenue.
12: Think I do? Mm. No doubt about (laughs)
3: it.
2: Here I now. I'll take you home. I'm going along too. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm not gonna stay here all by
3: myself. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Commission,
10: what are we gonna do with all this Halloween stuff? We got a barrel of it. That's right. We shouldn't leave it here. Well, throw it in the car,
7: fellows. We'll divide it later.
3: Okay.
7: Your family will be happy to see you, Mike. Do you have any little brothers or sisters?
12: I don't think so.
10: What does your father do?
12: I don't know. (laughs) Mike's pretty
10: close-mouthed. He ain't telling nothing.
12: I don't know nothing to tell. (laughs) Well,
10: we'll soon find out something. Come on, then. Pick up the
5: stuff and let's go. Sorry the party didn't work out, fellows I guess we can call it a good Halloween If we get Mike home
10: Yeah, there's no fun being lost When you're hardly big enough to find
7: <laughs> Judge, move over a little Oh, sorry if I'm crowding you, Gilda is isn't that you're sitting on the marshmallows <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? I thought your cushions were unusually soft
3: <laughs> What the
7: heck, we got more candy than We know what to do with well, here's Adams Avenue. Isn't this exciting?
2: If it turns out to be Mike's house, I'm going to blow my horn again.
3: <laughs> Does
2: this street look familiar, Mike? It, Mike? Shh. I believe he's fallen asleep.
3: He has?
2: Oh, isn't that a picture?
10: Hey, Pete. Let me hold him, will you?
2: I'm afraid he'll wake up, Floyd. <laughs> look, he's got his arm around my neck. Look for numbers, fellas.
10: Here's 875,
5: right on the corner. Are you sure that's 875? That's the children's home.
10: The children's home? No kidding.
5: Yes,
7: it is, Clyde.
10: Well, let's not just sit here and look at each other.
5: Better see if this is where Mike lives. You wake up the little fellow,
2: Petey. Yeah, well, uh, Mike. Mikey boy. You know where you are, Mike?
3: My home?
2: We think so, my
7: boy. Mike, do you recognize this house?
12: Yeah, sure. That's where I live.
5: Mike, why didn't you tell us you lived with a lot of other little boys and girls?
12: Nobody asked me.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: By George, we didn't. Never
7: occurred to me.
12: Can I go in now?
5: Yeah, of course, Mike. Yeah, I'll take you up to the dealer.
7: Okay. We'd better wait here in the car, Gilda.
5: You're all right, Judge. Mike, there's a jack-o'-lantern in the window. Must be having a little party.
12: Yeah, but they don't have very much.
5: They don't. Well, by George, they're going to... Judge, Peavy, Floyd, unload the car. Hey, that's a great idea. Bring the candy and noisemakers. Bring everything.
3: Help
12: me with these boxes, Peavy. Gosh, mister, you really mean it?
5: You bet. This is going to be the best Halloween we've ever had.
9: The Great Gilda Sleeve will be with us again in just 30 seconds. Need a hot lunch in a hurry? Then make grilled sandwiches with Kraft smooth melting pasteurized processed cheese food, Velveeta. With Golden Velveeta, you can make delicious sandwiches... Because Velveeta has such a grand, rich, yet mild cheddar cheese flavor. And Velveeta makes sandwiches so nourishing, too, because it's rich in important food values from milk. Enjoy a quick, easy lunch of grilled Velveeta sandwiches tomorrow. Just be sure you get the cheese food of finest quality, genuine Velveeta, made only by Kraft. Ah.
12: Gildersleeve, and thanks for the party.
5: You don't mention it, my boy. We had a wonderful time.
12: So did we. Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes, Mike. I want to tell you something. You do? If I ever have a father, I hope he's just like you.
5: (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Bless you, my boy. Good night, folks.
9: The Great Gildersleeve is played by Willard Waterman. The show is written by John Elliott and Andy White, and is partially transcribed. Included in the cast are Walter Chetley, Mary Lee Roth, William Randolph, Earl Ross, Arthur Q. Bryan, Tommy Reddick, and Dick Legrand. Musical composition by Jack Meekin. This is John Heaston saying goodnight for the Kraft Foods Company, makers of those famous Kraft Quality Foods. Be sure to listen in next Wednesday and every Wednesday for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. How can you make a sandwich just the way you like it? Easy. Take some bread, some good cold roast out of the icebox, then add a touch of Kraft's prepared mustard. For when you add a little mustard, you add a lot of tang. Kraft's mustard makes a sandwich just right. Remember, there are two kinds of Kraft mustard to choose from. Kraft salad mustard, mild and delicately spiced, and Kraft mustard with snappy horseradish added. With either kind, when you add a little mustard, you add a lot of tang. Get Kraft's prepared mustard.
3: Your humble host.
9: He's next on NBC.
0: There you have it, friends, from Halloween Night in 1951. The Great Gildersleeve. All about that lost little boy on Halloween Night. And now, did you recognize the kid who played the little boy, the actor? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. He was a small boy at the time. And he later starred in his, his very own television series, a series that I was watching. Every Sunday, in fact, I'm still watching it. Yeah, uh, a TV series in the 1950s that he starred in first. He was later replaced by another small boy. Well, the boy's name in the show was Timmy. (laughs) Now, this boy that you heard today played Jeff. In the television series, Jeff's Collie, better known as Lassie. that's right. That was the kid who played Jeff in Jeff's Collie, the early version of the television series Lassie, and Jeff was later replaced by that kid who played Timmy, who's John, John, John something or other, I forget his name. But anyway, that's who Tommy Reddick was. He played the lost boy in today's Great Gildersleeve. Well... That was a nice show, and we got a nice guy to to sing us a good song, one of our traditional Halloween shows. You know, we just could not do a Halloween show without listening to the great Bing Crosby. Here he is back again to sing his famous Headless Horseman. Oh, I like this one.
4: Now gather round. What happens outside when it gets late? Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees get together for their nightly jamborees. There's ghosts with horns and saucer eyes, and some with fangs about this size. Some short and fat, some tall and thin, and some don't even bother to wear their skin. Oh, oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on in the night. The spooks have a midnight jamboree. They break it up with fiendish glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman, he's the worst. When he goes a-jogging across the land, holding a noggin in his hand, demons take one, look and groan, and hit the road for parts unknown. And there's no rate like a spooky spurn, they don't like him and he's really burnt. He swears to the longest day he's dead. He'll show them that he can get ahead you're careful he'll get yours don't think he'll hesitate a bit because he'll clip your top fit, and he likes to You can't reason with a headless man. So after dark, you kids be good. Stay at home the way that you should. Cause right outside and waiting there, the headless horseman.
0: Hold the door, Bing. Hold the door for me, please. Don't worry. I ain't abandoning you. I'll be here for every great Halloween song and frightening story that we have. I'll be here with you all through our Halloween special here on Sounds Like Radio. I am your humble host. Now it's time for another spooky story. You know, this is a a story told by... A guy I found extremely entertaining. I first became aware of him when watching the old David Letterman show when it was on NBC. I think he even had him on when he switched over to CBS. I'm talking about the great Brother Theodore. Brother Theodore. Oh, he was quite an intellect, actually. But when he would come on David Letterman's show, he was quite the character. He was not a man to be trifled with. He did not like the joking, laughing David let him in. When David would make his jokes, he would give David the evil eye. He was not happy at all to be putting up with David's frivolities. He was the great brother Theodore, and he is here today. I just had to ask him back. He used to tell us. Spooky. He he always had rather macabre stories. No matter what he was talking about, they were always on the dark side. We, brother Theodore, is here today on our Halloween special with another dark story. This is a a little tale. Brother Theodore calls Bernice, and listen to the way he 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 brings up the subject and the way he talks about various interesting things he he's just not your normal storyteller I'll tell you that I'm warning you there he's not your normal storyteller without any feather at you here is Brother Theodore on our Halloween special we measure things
14: by what we are to the maggots in the cheese the cheese is the universe to the worms in the corpse the corpse is the cosmos. How then can we be so cocksure about our world? Just because of our telescopes and microscopes and the splitting of the atom? Certainly not. Science is but an organized system of ignorance. There are more things in heaven and on earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. What do we know about the beyond? Do we know what's behind the beyond? I'm afraid some of us hardly know what's beyond the behind. Creatures of twilight and illusion, we drift and drift toward our unknown ends. And that's why I feel the best thing is not to be born. But who is as lucky as that? To whom does it happen? Not to one among millions and millions of people. My name is Theodore and you will find in the forests of Bavaria castles older and larger than the gray mansion of my family. But not one, I'm quite sure, not one that is more tainted with melancholy. And we who have lived there have been called eccentrics and dreamers. I suppose the unusual appearance of our house with its twisting hallways, its grotesque paintings the gothic atmosphere of the library and the somewhat peculiar character of its contents. Yes, I suppose all this must have been good reason for such a feeling. My earliest memories are tied closely to the library. My mother died there. There a tragedy never fully explained took the life of my father. There I spent my boyhood in books and my youth in reverie. And the years went. And as a grown man, I stayed on in the home of my forebears. The realities of the world outside seemed to me like visions. And the world of dreams, little by little, became my everyday existence. I wanted to tell you about Berenice. She and I were cousins, and we grew up together in that house, but we grew differently. I was ill of health, always wrapped in gloom, while she, swift, nimble, graceful, overflowed with joy and energy. Hers were the peasant dances in the village, the rambling the wind on the hillside, the galloping on horseback through the woods. Mine was the withdrawal, the anguish, the searching into dark things. She roamed through life, plucking its flowers, laughing, singing... Unaware of the shadows on her path. Berenice, hauntress of my dreams. Your image is vivid before me. Your raven black hair. Your witching eyes. Your fragrant lips. Your lovely young form. Oh, days and places lost beyond recall. Oh, fairyland forlorn disease a crippling disease befell her took hold of her body her mind and her habits and in a manner most subtle most hideous corrupted the very essence of her being will you believe me in the brightest days of her beauty i'd never desired her as i desired her now a sickly frenzied passion for that wasting form began to obsess me an incomprehensible craving and in an evil moment I spoke to her of marriage. The date of our wedding was approaching when one afternoon I sat alone or so I thought in the library. From outside like remote drums came the monotonous beat of the rain. A gust of wind rustled through the leaves and as I started up she stood before me. Berenice. She spoke no word and I... I could only stare at her. Her hair was a dank yellow and fell over her temples in snaky coils. Her face was bloodless, as if molded from wax. Not solid, but melting, reshaping, moist with the dew of decay. And as I stared and stared and stared, her lips, her thin, shrunken lips, parted. And in a smile of peculiar meaning, the teeth of the dying Berenice revealed themselves to me. Would I would never seen them, or having seen them, died. The moving of a curtain, the closing of a door. Berenice had left the room, but my mind still clung to the image of her teeth. Not one speck on their surface, not one shadow on their enamel had escaped me. They had burned themselves into my memory. They had bitten themselves into my brain. They were small, narrow, and pointed, cold and capricious. They glistened like daggers in the moon. Those teeth, those glittering teeth, those luring, quivering, beckoning, promising pearls of teeth. They were my destiny. They alone would bring me peace. Then the voices voices, yes, a sudden chaos of voices murmuring, muttering, whispering voices, gibbering, jabbering voices, people coming, people going, a doctor, a priest. And from the chapel, the tolling of bells, boom, 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 boom. Berenice was dead. Uh, three days passed. Again I found myself sitting in the library and as always, alone. It was late at night and I knew since the setting of the sun she had been buried, but of the time from then to now I had no recollection. I had just awakened from a dream, a strange dream of a deserted garden, shadowy and cool with marble stones and crosses A beautiful garden, nourished on human flesh, and there is a grey mausoleum. Its doors swing open, steps wind their way below. A vault, candles burning bright and motionless, a young woman in a coffin, something Someone is approaching. Stretches out hands, bends over the body, lips broken, ringing thumbs, a mouth splintered,
1: bone bare.
14: Was it a dream? My hands stained with blood my fingers torn teeth teeth here here teeth her teeth her teeth at last her teeth mine at
3: last at last her teeth
0: Oh, my. I didn't want to interrupt that, my friends. The one and only, and I do mean the one and only, Brother Theodore. And a little tale he calls Bernice. I tell you, that guy was weird. <laughs> a little off. Some say he was crazy. I'm not crazy. Oh, dear. I think he may have been a little crazy. <laughs> Yeah, but underneath it all, he, he made good sense, didn't he? Well, most of the time. <laughs> Except when he went off on the deep end. <laughs> oh my, well, I think we've got to snap ourselves out of that scary mood by listening to a little Halloween classic music from Bobby Boris Pickett. <laughs> Everybody get ready to do the Halloween dance. The Monster Mash. Here's Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers.
13: I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the Mash He did the Monster Mash The Monster Mash It was a graveyard smash He did the Mash it caught on in a flash He did
3: the mess
13: He did the monster mash. Wow. From my laboratory in the castle east wow. To the master bedroom where the vampires peace. The ghouls all came from their humble abode wow. To get a jolt from my electrode They did the match They did the
3: monster
13: man. The monster
3: mash.
13: It was a graveyard smash They did the match. The scene was rocky, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains back by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the crypt kicker five. They played the MASH. They played the Monster match The
4: Monster MASH.
13: It was a graveyard smash. They played the MASH. It got on in a flash. They
3: played the MASH.
13: They played the Monster man. Out from his coffin rack's voice did ring. it ring Seems he was troubled by just one thing what? What? Opened the lid and shook his fist and said what? Whatever happened to my transfigured twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster man The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash It's
3: now the mash.
13: It's caught on and flashed
3: It's now the mess.
13: It's now the monster man now everything's racks so are part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land. For you the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what said Then
1: you can mash
13: Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And do my graveyard
3: sing. Then you can mash
13: You'll catch on and offline Then
3: you can mash Then you can Monster Mash
0: Monster Mash, uh, Monster Mash, Monster Mash, Monster Mashable. Monster Mash, Monster Mash. Oh dear. Well, you know, hearing that song, I kind of like it because it gets me in the mood for the real Boris. Yeah, that was Bobby Boris Pickett. Bobby Pickett doing his imitation of Boris Karloff, but now we have the real thing here. The real Boris Karloff is here to tell us. Or maybe he's here really to warn us to never kick a black cat. Boris Karloff, he knows from whence he speaks when he tells us this story. Now they tell me that Boris wants to ask me a question. That's right, Humblehouse. I have a question for you. Well, Boris, I I don't really want to hear your question because even your questions are frightening. No, nonsense, nonsense. I think you're a little nuts, Boris. Don't call me nuts. They call me crazy. I'll show them I'm not crazy. All right, Boris, all right. I I, I believe you. You're not crazy. Uh, Okay, go ahead. Ask me your question.
6: Are you one of the frightened? Yes, I admit you have it. Trouble sleeping at night. Do you find yourself tossing restlessly in bed. I wonder why. Perhaps you saw something during the waking day that troubled you. What was it? That strange man on the bus, or, or the curious manner of that woman in the drugstore? ...that black cat just ahead of you. Look out. You may cross your path with a sudden dart of its black, furry body. Now, you know that old superstition... ...about not letting a black cat walk across your path. Do you believe it? Well, if you do, or even if you don't... ...perhaps you'll be interested in hearing... ...the strange tale of Phoenix Darnell... ...and the cat that screamed in the night high above the streets of the city. It was a cold, dreary, rain-swept day when Felix Darnell first met the cat. Felix Darnell was a construction foreman on the Wells Spencer project on the Lower East Side. The Wells Spencer building was already 13 stories high and with but seven floors more to go, the building would be one of the mightiest and most ultra-modern structures on the East Side. Now, Felix was a tall, thin, scarecrow of a man. But the muscles of his body were taut and finely strung through his deceiving-looking frame. He was a foreman of an older day. (laughs) Indeed, he might have worked on the pyramids or the Colossus of Rhodes. But Felix Darnell was a lonely man with no one to share his pride. He ate alone, lived alone, and walked alone. And on this cold, dreary, rain-swept day, he walked to his job, staring down at the pavement. Suddenly, there before him, a long, thin, black cat stalked from an alley and halted on its haunches. Felix Darnell didn't see the cat until he nearly stumbled across it. He snapped out of his reverie and cursed cats. He hated cats. Viciously, he aimed a kick it. The cat howled in pain and slunk off miserable and wet in the rain. When Felix reached the project, he changed into his overalls and cap and took the lift to the 13th floor. By now, the rain had abated but As he looked at the scaffolds and the catwalks, Felix Darnell was not happy. The rain and the wetness would slow up the job, cursed again. Suddenly... Felix Darnell heard a crying, moaning noise. A low, fierce sound like someone in agony. Could someone be stuck out on the framework, trapped on one of the catwalks? Taking a flashlight because the daylight was dark and unnatural still, he stepped out onto the catwalk that ran on a straight line to what would be a southwest corner of the building. He walked slowly and carefully along the thin iron ledge that held his weight. The street yawned beneath him, 13 construction floors down. And then, a dark figure, bald and indescribable, sprang from a dim niche and shot towards Felix Darnell. He had one awful second to see the two eyes burning in the cat's head, the same cat that he had kicked only an hour before. The feline body raced between his legs on the catwalk, and with a horrible scream he tried to balance himself, fought for survival. His hands clawed at the air, but but his weight, thrown to one side by the cat's movement, hung into space for a brief instant before he fell. All the way to the street, 13 floors below he landed on a steel beam waiting to be hauled up, and what it did to him was something that would make even a cat turn away in disgust. Interesting tale of revenge, isn't it? Phoenix Darnell and his black cat. Well, of course, it might have been just a coincidence, but there, look, we can find out for ourselves. A black cat just crossed your path. See him go? (coughs) Do you mind if I stay with you, my friend?
0: Yes, I (laughs) would.
6: I'd like to see for myself just what happens to you.
0: (coughs) Gulp. Boris, you have to be so curious. Oh, my. I think he's hoping the black cat's going to run in front of me. You know, I once had a black cat really run in front of me. Really, humble house? That's right, Boris, I did. Did I melt away in fright? Did you? Did you? Of course not. I'm brave. Yeah, I was looking for a house to buy many moons ago. This is when I was shopping around, and we went to this place, and just as we got out of the car, a black cat ran, literally ran right in front of us as we were getting out of the car. Oh, oh, I I told the man. This has got to be a bad sign, a bad sign, this house must be cursed. And you know what, it was one of the worst houses. (laughs) One of the worst houses I ever looked at. Oh, I don't even want to describe what I saw inside, but let's just say uh, it was a fixture-upper, and it needed a lot of cleaning. And I ain't even going to go into the details, because even on a Halloween show, I don't want to get that frightening. Well, that was true, though. A black cat did run right in front of me. Boris, he don't like that. In fact, there's a man here who I think would be able to stand the fright of a black cat, and that's the great Johnny Cash. Here he is, and ghost riders in the sky. The great Johnny Cash. Take it away, Johnny!
15: An old cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day. On a ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw Plowing through the ragged skies And up the cloudy draw Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of stone. Their eyes were blurred, their shirts all soaked with sweat He's riding hard to catch that herd, but he ain't caught them yet Cause they've got to ride forever, on that range up in the sky All the horses smart and fire As they ride on, they hear they cry It's sloped on by him He heard one call his name If you want to save your soul From hell riding on our range Then cowboy, change your ways if they are with us, you will ride Trying to catch the devil's herd Across these endless skies you yay
0: The Great Johnny Cash and Ghost Riders in the Sky. Huh? You know that comes from a 45 I bought probably in the early 90s or late 1980s. I kind of forget, but it was sometime back then. And I do know it's from uh, my original 45. Sounds pretty good on a 45. I have to admit. <laughs> well, friends, we got one last story, one last little story, and this one ain't all that frightening. It's kind of nice. Well, uh, it's still frightening, but it's not as bad as (laughs) some of the ones we heard today. Uh, This one is told to you by Jackie Torrance. And she has a nice little tale of the golden arm. Jackie, would you care to
11: tell us your little story? The golden arm. Now, once there lived a man and his wife. The man was an ordinary man. After supper every night, he would take a seat in front of the fireplace and watch the fire, watch the smoke of the fire disappear beneath the chimney. He would light his pipe and and watch the smoke rings curl beneath the chimney. Now, the unusual person in this family was the wife. After she finished washing the dishes and straightening the house, or whatever it was that she did after supper, she would settle down with her husband before the fire. She would take into her right hand a very soft cloth. Then she would place her hand before her chest and rubbed that cloth across her arm and hand, for you see, her left arm and hand were made of pure, solid gold. Every night, she would polish and shine that golden arm. One night, as she polished and shined the golden arm, she said to her husband, If anything should happen to me, I want you to promise me that you will bury me with my golden arm. If I should die before you, will you promise me that you will bury me with my golden arm? And her husband said, Huh? What? What does that mean? Yes, he said, I promise you. Well, years and years went by, and one day the woman passed away. The night before they buried her, her husband started to think about it. I can't let them bury that gold. Why, if I had that golden arm, I could buy myself a brand new house. If I had the gold from that golden arm, I could buy myself a brand new suit of clothes. If I had the gold from the golden arm, I could buy myself a wagon and ten white horses. So he went to the place, and he cut off the golden arm, and they buried his wife without her golden arm. The next night, he stood in front of the fireplace holding the golden arm talking to himself (laughs) i've got the gold from the golden arm (laughs) i shall buy myself a brand new house (laughs) i shall buy myself a wagon and twenty white horses. I shall buy myself a brand new suit of clothes. (laughs) And just then he looked up through the window and the sky that had been so bright and blue with stars was now dark, dark, dark. And all of a sudden the wind started to blow harder and harder and harder and over the sound of the wind he heard Where's my golden arm? Oh, said he, who is that? Oh, he said, it's just my imagination. There's nobody there. But he went over to the window, just to be sure, and he looked out again, and the sky was darker and darker, and the wind blew harder and harder, and the voice was louder and louder. Who's got my golden arm? Oh, he said, who knows that I have this arm? I must hide it, I must hide my golden arm. So he looked all around the house and there was only one place, a closet. He reached toward the wall where there hung a key to the closet. He pulled the key from the wall, ran over to the closet, door opened it, and just before he stepped inside, he looked around again through the window. And the sky was darker and darker. And the wind blew harder and harder. But this time the voice was just at the front door. Where's my golden arm? He stepped into the closet, slammed the door, and locked the door. Oh, he said, I'm safe. Nobody will ever take this golden arm away from me now. (laughs) But then he realized that inside the closet it was dark, dark, dark. And all around the house the wind blew harder and harder and harder and the door that had been locked now opened all by itself <coughs> And he could hear the voice coming across the room. Who. You've got my golden arm, and the ghost of his wife grabbed that golden arm, turned around, ran through the house, leaped through the window, and nobody's ever seen that ghost or the golden arm again, and that's the end of that.
0: Well, you know that should be end of that. That was the great Jackie Torrance telling us her tale of the golden arm, you know. Maybe gold ain't all that good to try to, to uh, collect. You know, maybe it maybe, uh, means riches, but uh, if it means a ghost's going to be coming after you to get his gold back, <laughs> I say, Mr. Ghost, you can have your gold. <laughs> I'm just fine without it.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, my. Jackie Torrance a neat little story called The Golden Arms. Well, friends, that's going to do it for us here on Sounds Like Radio. Our very special Halloween special, Volume 3. Yes, this is our third and our last Great Gildersleeve Halloween special. They only made three different Halloween shows on the Great Gildersleeve. So this will be the last of our Great Gildersleeve Halloween celebrations. But we will be back again next time with more great stuff we hope you enjoyed our halloween program here on sounds like radio i am your humble host and we say goodbye until next time we bid you adieu we bid you all adieu thanks for listening friends so eerie. Yes, it does, Boris. You know, it's my kind of music. Uh, (laughs) I figured (laughs) we we don't listen to this as we close out the show. Goodbye, everybody. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say Boris could say goodbye to y'all. Goodbye, everyone. We hope you enjoyed my stories. They did.